0: Welcome to the Adapting Places podcast. Uh, this is going to continue my thinking on perceptual experience and emotions related to place. Uh, but after a short time taken away to do uh, some annual reviewing of my PhD progress and a part-time course in the philosophy of emotions at Oxford University so that's not even a humble brag it's a proper flex I'm doing here because uh, I learned a lot from that course but I'm still trying to synthesize it in my own way to understand the whole content of what I learned and there's an essay I'd to submit to get some credits for that so I'm working on that alongside the analysis. Uh, for the PhD, so it's going to be a mishmash of the two things that would make me think more deeply about uh, how perceptions and emotions are alike and different. What's their relationship to rationality? Uh, actually, the the essay I'm writing for the the Oxford course is titled "In What Sense Could Emotions Be Deemed?" rational which has made me think through how to put forward arguments uh, that show my acknowledgement of what I've, everything I've learned about how important emotions relate to place you know feelings of attachment and belonging are important for our well-being but at the same time how such emotions may be a lot more limited in seeking to find out uh what's uh i guess i'm tiptoeing around the word truth because i'm not sure i want to talk about truth but if you want to put forward an argument that convinces others that i can buy into it's it's just been really difficult for me to, to put emotions is in higher regard in other contexts than than the ones that i'm working on in the phd because i was using the i think the phd to prove to show an instance where emotions towards places can be a lot more informative than you know putting a list of pros and cons and whether you're going to have a better job and this is kind of the, the data that i'm getting from participants, you know, uh, but I guess steadily over time, what I'm noticing, and this is where I'm heading with my thinking, is that um there seems to be a dichotomy between rationality and emotions and feelings being put together. I'm gonna try to really think more in line with those who separate feelings and emotions. And in a, in a sense, what I'm where my head's at the moment is, you know, there are cognitive things uh, that are, uh, let's you know, in folk terms call it, in our head. Then there are emotions that help us integrate things with our from our environment, and then there are feelings of embodiment that come, oftentimes from internal processes but obviously integrating the cognitive and the emotional also in this kind of venn diagram of the three then you can think a bit more clearly about what's what's really going on so um there's ways in which even the people that i've heavily relied on in my literature review for up until now my phd talk too much about gut feelings but not enough about following your heart so are these gut feelings applicable to all domains so our rules of thumb and heuristics similar in making a a judgment call in the absence of good statistics in the context of an expert decision that has to you know save lives potentially you know when you're having to make calls early on on whether to lock down people or not during a pandemic obviously that's quite relevant and you have to make that gut is that the same as um, setting a long-term aspiration and following it and kind of following the pull of your heart as some people say and I've had some people and I've had this very well put in words by one of the participants in my PhD where the advice was to kind of emotionally set your long-term goals you know for the next five, ten years but then think through them in a lot more detail as things happen and I guess that's kind of how you stay open to the possibility of things not making sense and yet having a pool uh, I guess that acknowledges just a non human centered approach to understanding our world so uh, a bit more of a a combination between the first person and the the outside in perspective. Uh, and I guess all of this, then, when you integrate the three, and where where I'm thinking is, that's what you can call perception. Perception, I, I think of it as a catch all uh, thing. There are those who would think that uh, perception is almost the same as emotion, and emotions do, th- I think, play a big role in having, you know, the peaks and valleys of our perceptual experience and then that over time uh, layers some patina in certain ways where you keep looking in that direction and so your perception is always bent based on your previous perspectives, on your previous emotional experiences. <sighs> and But how it differs is that within perception there could be uh, the cognition of what you could think at the moment and also integrate you know that with the with the gut feelings and feelings of of your body, so I guess the mind body environment integration is what I'd call uh perceptual experience, and then under it the three this thing um and there's some interesting things that would come out of this when you get more specific so. Staying at the top level uh, is something that helps me when I have to talk to people, but I find it uh, when I write, it really, you really have to go into the details. But one thing I've actually noticed is after having to defend my PhD a week ago in this annual review, that I find it difficult to talk into the specifics, um, whereas I, I can write in specifics. Uh, So I guess the ability to go back to an argument multiple times and reread it, there is an advantage there. And uh, the reason I'm sharing this is I felt a very strong sense of injustice (laughs) after not being able to verbalize within 20 minutes why I thought certain things were reasonable within my presentation. Uh, But that's, you know... I guess, something that could be practiced. And that's why I keep doing this, kind of practicing, talking about these topics that are sometimes embarrassing to mention to your friends because they don't want to talk about (laughs) Um, some of these things in depth and oddly get freaked out. Um, Which has been something as an interesting side note that I felt as well whenever I'm tired, Uh, talking about emotions and a philosophy of emotions in depth. It's actually very challenging. Um, So I I started a new job as well, which requires a lot of learning. And as soon as I started that, my bandwidth got full. Then having to do the course on top of that was very, very challenging. Um, And to keep up with writing for the PhD, then it's basically resulted in some feelings of, of guilt not being on track but i've been there before it's been four years of this this journey so um chatting it through with my wife i realized that i just uh, had to sit down and write so i've had a really good writing session today Mm -hmm. and interestingly a writing session where i just sit down and lay out my thoughts without trying to piece my argument from the arguments of others which i've found is a bit of a trapping of scientific thinking so i'm just catching myself just doing puzzle building from other people's work and then trying to see where things are going but I guess in writing in this free style at least for the first draft allows me to do a combination of what I've uh, I've seen uh, what, uh, what kind of data I've been getting from my PhD what kind of thoughts I've been having while doing my day-to-day research job and you and the kind of experiences I've had in my personal life and then seeing if someone else has discovered that wheel before me I don't know, somebody might say this is not scientific but I'd argue the process of checking it after is a good enough check and I do I to go through multiple drafts, <laughs> because uh, when I don't get the time, interestingly, uh, I got some feedback on my application for, so uh, I write become a chartered scientist, uh, which is kind of an accreditation given by Royals, and again, a proper flex, that's yes, uh, not a humble brag, I'm really pleased with that, I'm a chartered scientist now credited by the science council but the application process is i think 15 questions of 2000 word essays you have to write describe the the processes you go through in your research and then you get blind peer reviewed uh, so the the reviewers gave me feedback that i have a rambling style and uh, i'd argue it's a, <laughs> it's a method inherited from uh geographic Thinking and geography, the people who do dr- drifting in cities to intentionally get lost to see what's really out there and not where they would naturally go, but just transferred into the mental space of walking around, which I found. This is not something I've invented again. Um, Aldous Huxley, in his Heaven and Hell sequel to the Doors of Perception book, uh, after having some mescaline experiences, used the analogy of the mind having antipodes that you don't tend to visit but when you do, um, kind of in the just the way that you might go and visit Australia from other places and realize there are marsupials there. Um, you, it might, they might look surprising at first, but if you really explore, you'd see that these. Areas populated with marsupials, in your mind. Uh, Not literal. They follow certain patterns and rules as well. So, uh, I guess all of this then, that refers to me to perceptual experience. So, staying at the top level. Uh, Perception, you'd call the everything put together. Just tell me what you perceive. And that begs the question of what doesn't get perceived and is it possible that it gets perceived somewhere, but is non-conceptual? So non-conceptual perception could be just uh, words that I say but not possible to exist because some might argue that for them to be perceived they have to be conceptual that requires that you buy into, I guess, a computational model of thinking where there are computations being done in the background rather than (sighs) a lot of human action being just more non-cognitive. So could it be that feelings and emotions direct you without cognitive component into the kind of Venn diagram of the of the three, and in that way, then you'd probably say, oh, okay, then there is perceptual experience that is non-conceptual and it's not tagged into different categories, but it's more integrated directly from the emotions into feelings than action. and action. And within that, I would probably classify not just stuff that people think about as habits or uh, knee-jerk reactions but also gut instincts you know I've seen this before you do it expert practice something like martial arts and I'm thinking when I get faced with this kind of move I'm gonna counteract it with this one and you don't need to be 100% there you know you got to be 80% of the solution and then adjust when the, when the solution no longer works you adjust. That's something I just heard from a fighter pilot on a Lex Friedman's podcast. Uh, The guy that saw UFOs was uh, David Ferver I think. But I think it's interesting that how much of that doesn't require conceptual thinking. And it doesn't mean it's kind of not and entirely non-cognitive all the time because I guess there's some kind of thinking but it's kind of holistic but for the for now I'll just call it emotion Uh, so you just sense so it's and I guess this ah, don't want to get messed up with introducing new terminology because I think the way I use perception is very much similar to sensing but i guess it's how it's different is that there could be sensing with, at first and then perception is that you have to have taken it in somewhere you have to have perceived it no. it's taken in it's not data it's captured. it's captured already somewhere but it's interesting to think how many things could be captured in the body and not in the mind if you made that kind of a distinction. Uh so and then the way you'd make it is you'd argue with giving more and more examples of things that are uncategorizable into concepts that the mind could comprehend, but it acts on them. It. So it's involved still, but it's not not in the traditional top-down categorizing way. Um and I guess how that's all relevant to the PhD process that I've learned that I didn't know before. Um I shared some of my so my first ever publication on the you know the literature review that looks at decision making uh, literature and tries to see what that means for choosing where to live. And I shared that with the the course uh tutor from the Oxford course, uh, Dr. Julia Wicken. It's been really lovely. And she straight away saw the work of Lazarus around correlational themes as relevant. And it's something that I've seen quoted by Gerd Gigerenzer who talks about gut feelings and intuitions. But I think the, the view of Lazarus of correlational themes being this link between the mind and environment and how it actually works and how we put together situations and act on them and what the situations might mean to us this is very interesting to me because the correlational themes seem to be relatively rigid in the, the original but i bet you there's going to be people that have looked into that more in detail and also are they that conceptual, because the way that the correlational themes are described in Lazarus is a bit teleological, a bit thinking with what the the end in mind might be, almost describing an if-then algorithmic function, which I'm not sure is how people's experience works so then it shows you it's potentially how they might make decisions and you know if you describe it from the side it might be how you'd describe it but experience then doesn't necessarily look that way but it could be pieced back together into a, a rule of thumb that people might describe from the first person perspective but well, you know what, when you choose a place when you're trying to choose where to live, first you'd search for this kind of information, then you'd stop on know oh, this is what's important to me, and then you'd act in this way and obviously again, this formalization is something that requires the researchers involvement. I'm not saying that people will do it on their own It needs elicitation because it's normally so like self evident to people that they get bored being asked those questions. <laughs> Um, and I guess in, in all of this what I'm noticing is that I still am unable to have very easy, simple models of the interaction between emotions, feelings and emotions in the content of vocational choice, which is the challenge that I was given by my assessors when I was uh, doing the annual PhD review, and uh, that was where they were definitely right. Uh, I felt that it was wrong, uh, the question so much, in a 30-minute session, you can only cover it as much in the presentation of it as well. But where they were definitely right is that the conceptual model that I'm thinking about still captures quite a bit rather than only sticking to some. But it's because I'm working on multiple projects at the same time. And to me, I kind of look at it as my own experience more rather than different pieces of, of work, which I know it's, it's problematic because I'll have to be closing off the PhD eventually. got two years. So there's a, a lot of analysis to be done. But I think I'm way further down than I was probably showing in at the, at the review, but I, I got the pass anyway. Uh, so I feel good about that. And uh, I've got an interview on this coming Friday, which might be one of the final ones from the data collection for the PhD, because again, I thought I'd be collecting more data, but the The advice from those assessors that were reviewing me at the PHD was that I have probably got quite a lot of data, and now it's a matter of ignoring certain things. Uh, which I'm absolutely fine with. I, I do want to go deep into the analysis and then continue thinking about perception and emotion. For now, Uh, that's, um, I think, as far as I can take it.